Well, good evening. Hey, will you take your Bible this evening and turn to John chapter number 14. John chapter 14. And we are so glad that you're here tonight. John chapter 14. He had a good day spending some time with Brother Jason and Miss Jenny. And uh, they took me to the, is it the Golden Lamb? Yeah, Golden Lamb. And they had a good time of fellowship there and a neat, neat piece of history. Uh, right here in your own backyard, and uh, it was neat to go there and look around a little bit and spend some time. Thank you all for your kindness to me and your friendliness. I do also appreciate your prayers on my behalf for my health. Thank you for that. And hey, listen, Brother Earl's right. We've only got two more nights, but if you count tonight, which hasn't started, we've got three. Amen? So we're really just at the halfway point, and we thank the Lord for that. And um, you, you know, it's, it's funny. You get to a church, and this is one of the things that I'm learning, kind of as you pull back the curtain behind evangelism, itinerant evangelism, is you go to a church and, you know, you meet people you've never met before, and just about the time you get to know them and befriend them and start to develop relationships with them or rekindle relationships with them, you got to leave. And, uh, but that's part of it, isn't it? That's part of it. And one of these days, we're going to be together forever, and we won't have to leave. Won't that be awesome? And uh, we won't be tired of each other because God will get rid of this old flesh, sin nature, and uh, all the nothing but the good parts and the wholesome parts and as a lamb presented to him without spot and wrinkle. And uh, we're looking forward to that and, uh, as a bride that way. So, But so glad to have you here today. I don't have a roof story where I fell through a roof, but I did fall through a septic tank one time. And I want to tell you what, what your foot meets on the other side is not nearly as good. I, remember, I don't remember how many showers I took that day, but we had one out in our yard where my dad was uh, remodeling our home there, and uh, I tried to jump, be stupid like a teenager. You know, teenage boys are always, I wonder if I can jump this or lift this or do this, and, and I tried to jump on it, and I went all the way through that thing. It was wood, and I had, uh, well, you know what's in there. I won't explain it to you. Uh, up to my knees in it, literally. And uh, as a result of that, my dad put a, a steel uh, top over top of it after that, so there was no more problem than that. So when he talked about falling through a roof, I thought, well, maybe I should tell them about my septic story instead, all right? <laughs> Hope you found John chapter 14 by now. Hey, I want to say this to you. I, I try to make it a point to do this wherever I go. Uh, this is not just something that I would, would do for Brother Earl, but for other pastors as well. I hope you appreciate your pastor. Amen? <laughs> I hope you thank God for him and Miss Evelyn, for their family. Uh, there are preachers that don't preach and teach the Word of God. There are preachers that don't love their church families. And really, that's the two main requirements that I see in Scripture of a pastor. He preaches and teaches the Word of God, prays for his people, and loves his people. you got a man that does that here. And uh, he would never say this on his own, so I'm saying it. Uh, because I'm leaving on Thursday night. You ought to honor him every chance you get. Take good care of him and his family. I ought to remember his birthday, remember his anniversary, he and his wife. Remember the anniversary of when he came to be the pastor of the church? Just seek ways to honor him in all that you can. I know that you do that, but let me encourage you to keep on keeping on. Uh, you know, because it's, it's, it's good when the man of God is faithful. And, you know, and I've heard pastors say, you know, take care of the evangelist. He that preaches the gospel lives with the gospel. And that's true, but so does your pastor. And uh, appreciate him so very much. And no, he didn't tell me to say that. Uh, but we want to be an encouragement to him too. Amen? Thank the Lord for that. And I appreciate him extending an invitation to me to be here this week. John 14. My guess is 
if you have 10 verses in your memorization repertoire, that one of the verses that you have memorized is John 14, 6. One of the most familiar verses in all the Word of God. Somebody once said that familiarity breeds contempt. You know that ought to never be the case when it comes to Scripture. You know, no matter how many times we hear a verse, no how, many, how much we know it frontwards and backwards, upwards and downwards, we ought to once again be afreshed and renewed when we hear the verses, even the familiar ones. And friends, I want to tell you what, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I can't think of a more straightforward presentation of that than right here in John 14. In verse 1, Jesus talking to his disciples, he's about to face his passion. He's about to face the cross for the disciples and also for you and for me. And the Bible says in the Hebrews that he, he did so with joy as he endured the cross that was set before him. Not that Jesus was happy about the pain that he had to endure, but he joyfully fulfilled the Father's will. Can I say this tonight? Nowhere in Scripture did Christ try to chicken out of the cross. And I have issue with anyone that says differently. Now, we know in his humanity, because he was dreading the suffering and the separation from the Father, we know that that 100% humanity of Christ, at one point in time, Lord, if it be possible, uh, let this cup pass from me. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He knew why he was here. And he faced the cross with joy, but... To go through what he had to go through was insurmountable pain to be separated from the Father. And you and I will never completely understand it. But he's having some parting comments to his disciples here who are quite frankly sad and don't understand all that's going on. But he says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And by the way, in order to go to heaven when you die, you have to believe that Jesus is God. Can I say that? You know, if you look in the watchtower, the Jehovah Witnesses cult Bible, it will say that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. That's not what my Bible tells me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. And why would you ever ask anyone who's not God to save your soul? Because only God can do it, Amen. He says, if you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. We sing, I want a mansion just over a hilltop. The, the better translation is probably room or area, but we're, we're going to have a place that God has designated for us. And listen, my room at the Comfort Suites in Mason this week is really nice. Thank you for it. Thank you for providing it for me. But i got to tell you, no offense, it pales in comparison to what's waiting on me. I don't know what that room is like, but I guarantee you one thing. I won't fall through the septic and I won't fall through the roof. Amen? And God's preparing it for you and for me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And friends, He is. Amen? I tell you what, some of you, your ameners are broken tonight. I don't know if there's an amen or shop in Mason, but it needs to get fixed on some of you, all right? Hey, you know what? He is coming again. And that's better. And it doesn't matter how long people have been preaching it. It doesn't matter if man, man continues to preach it a thousand years in the future. The promise is secure. And our Lord is going to return. 
And as you've heard many preachers say, and I'm going to take my shot at it, we're one day closer than we've ever been. Amen? He said, I'm coming again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. It ought to tickle you pink to think for a moment that Jesus wants you to be with him. Ever thought about that? We always talk about, I get to be with Jesus, which is wonderful. I get to be with my loved ones, which is outstanding. I get to go to a place of no more sorrow, sickness, or sin. Amen. But you know what? Christ wants us there. He said in John 17, Lord, I want you to show them the glory that we have together. Christ wants to show off what he's made. And one of these days, we're going to get to see it. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Verse 4. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Verse 5. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, I'm like a lot of men. I'm not very good with directions. We know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, that literally means nobody, no one, cometh unto the Father but by me. Friends, we don't exalt one portion of Scripture above another one. But I'll tell you one thing. If somebody said to me, Brother Barry, would you please sit down and explain the gospel to me as simply and straightforwardly as you know how? Would you take me to a verse of Scripture in the Bible that explains it so succinctly and simply that I just can't miss it? Friend, the Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I could say it this way and do no damage to the text. Jesus is the one and only way. He's the one and only life. He's the one and only truth. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight along these lines. Jesus, the one and only. Will you pray with me? Father, the devil does not want this message preached tonight, and you know it. He hates it when souls get saved because you're honored and glorified and because a soul has been delivered from the place where he knows he's going for all of eternity. We'd ask you to bind him tonight. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. This purpose was the Son of Man manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He knows that he has but a short time. Lord, we claim these verses tonight. You are number one and he's number two and there's so vast a gap in between it's immeasurable. You're the all-powerful God and your word works and we trust it tonight. Keep the devil from snatching the good seed of the word of God away from the hearts of those who hear it. Lord, maybe there's somebody, maybe there's a dear friend who has come to be with us tonight. Maybe it's a visitor, maybe it's a church member, maybe it's a casual attendee, I don't know. But maybe there's somebody here tonight, and if they were honest with themselves and God, they don't know that they're a Christian. They don't know they're saved. They don't have Bible assurance that their sins are forgiven, that they're on their way to heaven. Lord, would you help them tonight to understand the gospel? I cannot manipulate, I cannot persuade, I cannot twist an arm, and Lord, you don't force it either. But through the Holy Spirit of God, people can understand. So we ask tonight, we claim the promise that you draw all men to yourself. We claim 1 Timothy 2, 4, who to have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth.
Lord, maybe it's a believer here tonight who's not been living for you as they ought. They're not in need of regeneration, but they are in need of revival. Would you please speak to their hearts tonight and convict them of that sin, that sin that's getting in the way of them experiencing the joyful and fulfilling Christian life. May they repent of that tonight. Whatever the needs, may you meet them. We'll give you the honor and glory for it. And all of God's people said, I remember when I was in high school, and uh, not, not this past June, Brother Earl, but next June, it'll be 30 years for me since I graduated high school. Uh, that's a little sobering when I think about that. Uh, I'm on the road and I preach, but while I'm building my schedule, one of the things that I do to supplement my income is I substitute teach in a Christian school where I taught for 11 years. And uh, sometimes I have students now whose parents are older, I'm older than their parents, and so that kind of hits home a little bit, and I feel like I'm getting older, all right? But I remember in high school taking the SAT, and I remember that it had two main parts. It was a verbal part and a nonverbal part. The nonverbal part was focused on things like math and science, in other words, all the nasty stuff that I hated. Anybody else in here, math was your Achilles heel when you were in high school? Anybody else? Can I get a witness there? All right. You know, you know what? I, I had math, and I, I did okay in some of it, but I took math. I took physics. I should have never have done that. Might have been an honor graduate had I never taken that. Uh, I was okay about through seventh grade. Then when algebra started, it kind of went downhill from there. I, I saw a meme on Facebook one day. It said, well, another day, and I didn't use algebra. I love that so much. But I've always been more grammatically inclined. Hence what I do with my life. I'd rather write a paper than I would do a math problem any day of the week. I remember one time in high school, I had an English assignment, but I wanted to go roller skating with the youth group. My mom said, you're not going until that assignment's done. And we had to write something. And so I sat down and I wrote out the entire Christmas carol in poem form. Entire thing. Got through it. Turned it in. The next day the English teacher was like, you spent a long time on this. I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah, I really did. It was the night before. And I just went out. English has always come a little bit more naturally to me. English and history than math and science. And although I'm not an English scholar by any stretch of the imagination, I do know the importance of something called a definite article. Folks, in Scripture here, Jesus uses three definite articles in verse 6 to explain the most important truth in the universe. And here's what he says. He says to the disciples and to you and me and to the world, he says, I am the, not a. Listen, if the Bible used a... Instead of thee, we'd be in a heap of trouble, wouldn't we? Now listen to me. Don't throw me out for heresy. Listen to me. Other religions would have a bone to pick, would they not? The Buddhists, the, the Muslims, the agnostics, the atheists, even the Satanists. If the Bible said, I am a way, a truth, and a life, some men come to the Father through me we'd have no foundation to stand on. But instead, our Savior in His wisdom uses definite articles. And He says, I am the one and only. Several things I want you to see tonight. I hope it will be a help to you. Not only if you're struggling with whether or not you belong to Jesus, but number two, 
as a believer in your witness and when you share Christ with others. Number one, I want you to see that Jesus is the one and only road. He says, I am the way. The word way here means road or path. You know, I saw an article, uh, Brother Jason, in USA Today many years ago that said that most Americans believe that there are multiple roads to heaven and that the important thing is not which road you're on. The important thing is that you pick a path because when the dust settles and the smoke clears, all of it's church, all of it's the same God, all of it's the same heaven. The important thing is that you have a faith system. Friends, I want to tell you something that's a lie of the devil. And if you believe that, you'll die and go to hell. If you believe that, you'll die and go straight to a devil's hell. Number one is the broad road. Will you take your Bible for just a moment and turn to Matthew chapter 7? Keep your finger in John 14 because we'll be coming right back. But I want you to see this with your own eyeballs. We're in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and look at verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And look at the, the sad, tragic statement. And many there be which go in thereat. Now, friends, I'm not a fatalist. And I'm not a cynicist tonight, but I attempt to be a biblicist. And here's the sad fact of the matter. More people are headed to hell than heaven. More people are buying the lie of the devil that if you're good enough, you'll get in. Hey, just come to church. Have all the religion you want. Have bucketfuls of it. Man, you can tithe, you can read your Bible, you can pray, you can sing in the choir, you can join the church, you can get baptized and wet and dunked and splashed, you can do all these things, have at it. And you can still do all those things and be on the broad way that's emptying into the mouth of hell as we speak. Now friends, this doesn't make God happy. This is not the heartbeat of God. I want to tell you something tonight, and I'm glad you got a pastor that stands with me on this. And preacher, I'm not here to open up a can of worms or to start a debate or all that, but I want to say this because I believe it and I need to say it as a preacher of God's word. God does never get honor and glory when anyone goes to hell. Nobody does God want to go to hell. If you go there, it's not because God sent you there. It's because you chose to reject Jesus Christ. Nowhere in Scripture does the Bible tell us plainly that God played any, many, mighty mo with your soul. And set it up where you were going before you had a chance to say yes or no to him. Now I have a God who's omniscient. He knows it all. He knows everything that's ever been, everything that is, everything that will be. He even knows everything that could be. And he knew the exact moment that Barry Daniel would say yes to him. And as a result of that, I was elect and chosen before the foundation of the world. But I still had to say yes to him. Friends, Matthew 25, 21 tells us that the hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for you and me. It was a place of eternal torment designed for those fallen angelic beings that had rebelled against the holy God of heaven. 
Are you on the broad path tonight? I'm not asking you, have you ever messed up? We've all done that. I'm asking you, what path have you taken to get to heaven? Say, Brother Barry, I'm not on a path. Everybody's on a path. Friends, when it comes to Jesus, there is no neutral territory. Either you know him as your Savior or you don't. There's no almost saved or kind of lost. Are you on that broad path of destruction? Man, I don't care if your business is booming. Maybe your marriage is doing great. Maybe you're in fantastic, pristine physical health. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're on the broad, the broad road. Number one is the broad road, but number two is the biblical road. And the Bible says Jesus is, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Matthew 16, excuse me, Acts 16, 31 puts it like this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Hey, I quoted Ephesians 2 last night, but it bears repeating again tonight. It says, for by grace are you saved. Listen to this. Are you saved through faith? And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works. What's a work? A work is anything that you can do. Religion says, do this and don't do this and you'll get into heaven. Jesus says, it's impossible for you to keep the list of do's and don'ts on your own. You've got to have the righteousness of another who met all the qualifications. And his name is Jesus. And Galatians tells us that he fulfilled the law. He's the New Testament fulfillment of the Old Testament law. All the commandments of God, the holiness of God written out for man to see. Jesus fulfilled in the flesh. And when he died for you and for me, he gave us that righteousness. And all we have to do is receive it. That's the biblical road. Romans 5 says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Titus 3, 5, not by works, there's a word again of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Number one's the one and only road. Are you on it? Number two, I want you to see that Jesus is not only the one and only road, but he's the one and only reality. Go back to John 14 for a moment, please. He says, I'm the way. Then he says, the truth. And the word here means what you think it means. It means truth. It means reality. Would you agree with me that we're living in a world today where people don't live in reality? Can I tell you something that may go down as the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard in your entire life? Next to me, stepping in a septic tank. My wife and I were playing a trivia game. One of those trivia games that you play online with your phone, with your phone and you shoots it on the TV screen, and my wife and I were playing it with my brother-in-law and his wife. I love trivia. I love Jeopardy. Anybody like Jeopardy? Wheel of Fortune, to me, is something you've got to get through to get to Jeopardy, all right? I, I love Jeopardy, and enjoy playing that and everything. And So we're playing this trivia game, and a little factoid came up that has provided me with a sermon illustration now for years, and I thank the Lord for it, although it's probably the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. There's a woman somewhere out in the western part of our country who married a Ferris wheel. Now let me say that again for those who didn't hear me. She married a Ferris wheel. My wife said, I bet their relationship has ups and downs. <laughs> She's here all week, folks. Wasn't that great? That's awesome. What? Have we lost all sense of reality? What we... 
there's young people in our schools that go to the bathroom and scratch in kitty litter boxes. We've lost our ever-loving minds. And there are people that say, well, truth, morality, right and wrong is what you say it is. Truth is relevant. When Jesus appeared before Pilate, number one, and we see secular truth, Jesus appeared before Pilate, and Pilate said to Christ an interesting question that philosophers have been discussing and analyzing for 6,000 years. He said, what is truth? Fair question. And everybody, like an opinion, like a belly button, has an opinion, don't they? Friends, we live in a world today where wrong is the new right. And right is the new wrong. We live in a world today where immorality is literally the new morality. And that if you love the Bible, you are a hater of everything else. But I want to tell you, truth doesn't change. Truth is not defined by you and by me. No offense, it's not even defined by this church. It's not defined by church constitution. It's not defined by any religious creed. It's defined by the very word of God. And either you believe it or you don't. I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, brother, it said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's bad theology. Here's what it ought to say. God settled it, that, God said it, that settles it. Whether you believe it or not. What it ought to say is like a song I heard years ago, God said it, I believe it, that settles it for me, for me. There's secular truth, but number, I mean, excuse me, there's, there's a debate over truth. People argue over it, but number two, there's the definition of truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Friends, if it's not of God, it's not true. You know the awesome thing about this? Listen to this for a moment. It doesn't matter what the subject, math, science, or you people here want to discuss such things, English, history, architecture, archaeology, morality, business, socializing, government, politics, God's word is truth. And Jesus is the living word, the living embodiment of the written word. And friend, I want to tell you something tonight. How do I know all this Christianity is true? Because you have God's word on it. And I want to tell you something for somebody that's been a Christian now for years. I want to tell you that God's word has never, ever failed me. Now, I've failed him many times. And I've blown it many times. And that's true. But he's never failed me. His promises always are true. His word is always true. Titus 1, 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. He never lies. And Jesus said, I am the one and only truth when it comes to getting to heaven and being reconciled with the Father. Friends, everything else is a lie. And I'll tell you enough, I love you enough to tell you the truth tonight. Proverbs says this, faithful, 
are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. There's a lot of preachers that'll kiss you, they'll kiss up to you, they'll tell you what you want to hear. I'd rather wound you and tell you what you need to hear. But Brother Barry, I'm good enough. I've been in church for years. I believe the facts about God in my head. Friend, if you've never received Jesus personally for the salvation of your soul and the forgiveness of your sin, you are not yet saved. It's not that Jesus died for the world. It's that he died for you. You must personalize this truth. You must receive it for you. It's true now for me. Jesus is the one and only way. Jesus is the road. He's the one and only reality. But number three, I want you to see he's the one and only resource of life. Look at verse 14, verse 6 says this. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Number one is the provision of life. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. I remember we were being at a camp one year. And by the way, before I go any further, girls, thank you for the song. That was great. Uh, it, it reminded me that we used to sing that song at camp all the time. Brother Earl, you remember that? I love that song. I hadn't heard it for a while. I don't believe we've done it at camp for a while. And it brought back some memories. Thank you for that. I remember being at camp one year as a counselor, and we had a, some kind of a big mud pit, a tug of war. And I was wearing a shirt, a white-type T-shirt. And I want to tell you what, I got in that tug of war and I had mud in places I didn't even know existed. From the top of my head to the crown of my foot like Job and his boils, I had mud, all right? And you know, I think about this. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Do you know that when you try to impress God by your righteousness, he looks at it like a filthy rag? Now listen to me, I'm not trying to be uncouth or crass tonight, but literally what he says there, it's like a menstruous rag. When you try to impress God with your own righteousness. So God's not impressed by how many verses we can quote. He's not impressed by my tie and my outfit tonight and the fact that I go around and preach messages in churches. He's not impressed by that. Brother Earl's been faithful here as a pastor for 25 years. Thank God for that. But Jesus is not impressed by that. Nothing that we can do earns his favor. Now listen to me. The world religion says this, you must earn God's favor. You must do, 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 and do. You got to earn it to have life. Jesus says, that's all death. I've provided it through my shed blood. First Peter chapter 1 says this, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, seen from the vain tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, Ephesians says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Friends, listen to me. Jesus died for you, but more importantly, he shed his blood for you, the red royal blood of God without impurity, without sin, the lamb without flaw, without spot or wrinkle, so that you and I could have his righteousness. Brother Earl quoted this verse early in the week, but 2 Corinthians 5.21 for he hath made him to be sin for us, or in other words, in our stead, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Peter says, who his own self by our sins in his own body on the tree, that we would have life. 
Friend, Jesus, number one, is the provision of life, but number two, the presentation of life. John chapter 10, it's very simple. Jesus says this, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. John 3.16, I bet you know that one too. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen to me, friends. Salvation, this life, this resource of life, You've never done anything to earn it. I love Christmas. Anybody here love Christmas? The rest of your Scrooges need to get right, all right? I'm 47 years old, and I still like getting gifts. I do. I'm a big kid. If you want my address at the church, I'll give it to you, all right? But you know what? The older that I get, the more I like to give them. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be able to see the look on someone's face when you give them that gift. Now, sometimes they're not as surprised and, 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 and all the gift as you want them to be, but they appreciate it. You know, there's a salvation gift with everyone's name on it. Jesus, God, died to purchase that gift for you. And most of the world says, no thank you. Slap God's hand away. Allow the dust to settle on top of that gift day after day after year after year. They say, no, thank you, God. I'll deal with my own sin and the devil's hell for all of eternity. My friend, what world does that make sense? It's a gift. And all you've got to do is receive it. To as many as received him... To them gave you the power. Literally, the word means authority or right to become the sons of God, the children of God, in the family of God. Even those who believe in his name. Listen to me. If you're here tonight, you're not saved. You are not a child of God. First John says you're a child of the devil. But when you get saved, when you receive this gift, then you are forever a child of God. And you're entitled to all the riches and inheritance of heaven, plus all the good stuff down here. Amen? Hey, you know what? Our Lord is the one and only road. He's the one and only reality. He's the one and only resource. But in closing, I want you to see this. He is the one and only reconciliation to the Father. He says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, if you're a believer in the room, I want you to pay close attention for just a moment. I want to take about a minute to explain what I'm about to explain, and it's worth it because you need to hear this. I want to remind you as a believer that you can never, ever, ever lose your salvation. Amen? It is Jesus' responsibility to save you and to keep you. First Peter says we are kept by the power of God. Romans 8 says nothing shall separate us from the love of God. That even means us. Nothing can separate us from him. Hebrews 10 says that Jesus died once for all. He got it right the first time. And if you think you can lose your salvation, you are nailing Jesus to the cross afresh. He got it right the first time. And his blood covers everything that you've ever done, that you're doing now, or that you will do 20 years down the road. Thank God for that. You can't lose it. 
My mother's with the Lord, but my dad's still alive. He's visiting grandkids right now in Louisville, Kentucky. Were he here tonight and I was disrespectful to him, I would not look at my father and say, man, daddy, I'm sorry for smarting off. Will you please be my father again? He'd say, son, you're stupid. He'd say, you got Daniel blood flowing in your veins. Nothing will ever, ever change that. It might even smack me upside my 47-year-old head. See, the relationship never changes. But I would go to him and say, hey, Daddy, you know, I was disrespectful. You're my elder. I don't care if I'm 47 years old or not. I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. Will you forgive me? The relationship never changed, but listen to me. The fellowship is restored. So if you're here tonight as a believer, you've come to the Father in faith through salvation you have that relationship. If you've got sin in your life, you don't have to get saved again. You confess it to God what you've done. He'll forgive you, cast it as far as the east is from the west, and that fellowship is restored. Your prayers are no longer hindered, and you can have God's power in your life again. Amen? But if you're here tonight and you're not saved, the only way you can come to God and restore that which was broken between you and him is through Jesus Christ. Period. John 3, he that believeth not, excuse me, he that believeth is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the God, Son of God. The Bible says that if you're not saved, the wrath of God abides on you. The Bible says when we get saved by faith, then we have peace with God. James says if you're a friend of this world, you're at enmity with God. That's a fancy Bible word that means you're the enemy of God. And friend, I don't know about you, but that's a bad place to be. Hebrews says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In order to be God's friend and not God's enemy, you've got to repair that which is broken. And see, you've got a sin problem, and so did I. I've sinned before God, so have you. Brother Barry, I haven't sinned. We're all sinners. Ever had a bad thought? That's a sin. Ever hated somebody in your heart without cause? That's a sin. Ever lusted after someone in your heart that wasn't your spouse? That's a sin. Ever stolen anything that didn't belong to you? That's a sin. Ever told a lie? That's a sin. Everybody in here is a lying, thieving, adulterous, hating murderer. It's true. And Jesus died for all of it. And God, who can't look on sin, not even a little bit of it, cannot let anything except that which is holy enter into his heaven. We can't go, even the best of us. I believe it was Benjamin Franklin who once said, even the best of men are men at best. We can't get into heaven on our own. But through Jesus, that wall that's between you and God, it comes down. In the Gospels, the Bible says that when Jesus died, that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It was a miraculous, it was a supernatural thing. And now I don't have to go to a priest I got access to God the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the one and only reconciliation to the Father. Friend, I'm not giving you opinion tonight. I am basing my eternity on this truth. Brother Barry, why preach the gospel? Well, let me tell you, I wouldn't be worth a plug nickel as an evangelist if I didn't. And I want to tell you something else. The, the gospel may not be the only thing, but it is the main thing. And without the main thing, you have no thing. 
There is no revival without first being born again. You've got to get into God's family before you can be used of him. I'm glad for definite articles, aren't you? It leaves no doubt to the mind. It leaves no it leaves no unopened, unended questions. Everything is tidy and simple to understand. And we have a God that in all of his profound wisdom come up with a plan that was simple enough for even a child to understand. And here it is. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again for your sin. If you'll realize that you're a sinner and that Jesus, listen, he's the one and only road. He's the one and only reality. He's the one and only resource. He's the one and only reconciliation. If you'll believe that, he'll save your soul tonight. You have God's word on it. Let's pray. Thank you for how you've listened tonight. I have no idea if 30 people needed to hear this tonight or one. But I do know that as a preacher of the word of God, I'm commanded to preach Christ. It's not a simpleton thing to do. It's a biblical thing to do. And heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We'd like to ask you a couple questions tonight. We don't have our pianist in here, so thank you for your patience. This is called an invitation. This is when we bow our head and we kind of privately and personally do business with God. No one else pays attention to what anybody else is doing. We're just thinking about our own relationship with the Lord tonight. And we as a church here give you an opportunity to respond. See, you didn't come to hear a speech tonight. You came to hear a message. And a message demands a response. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I want to ask you this. Have you received Jesus Christ as the one and only way to heaven? Do you know that you're a child of God? Do you have Bible assurance that your sins are forgiven and that you have a personal relationship with Jesus? If that's your testimony, you're not ashamed of it, would you raise your hand tonight? Amen. Now listen to me. If you did not raise your hand, that doesn't make you horrible. It makes you honest. And thank you for being honest with yourself and with God. So we want to ask you a question. If you're here tonight, you could not raise your hand. So, Brother Barry, I had to be honest with myself and honest with God tonight. I'm just not sure. I don't know if there's been a time in my life where I realized I was a sinner and received Jesus by faith, believing he died and was buried and rose again for my sin. I don't know if my life has changed. I, I, I don't know. I, I believe the facts in my head, but I don't know if I've ever personalized the gospel in my heart. And it concerns me. It bothers me. I'm troubled by it. I, I think about it sometimes when I go to sleep at night and I want to know that I know that my sin's forgiven so that if I ever open my eyes up and I'm in eternity rather than another day on this earth, that I'm with the Lord. And on top of all that, I'm tired of my sin. I want to live a life here of peace and power and purpose. I want to settle it. If you're here tonight, you're not sure you're a Christian. Would you quietly raise your hand so we could pray for you? Hey, I'm not sure that I'm a believer. Anybody at all? I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. But I want you to pray for me. Anybody like that at all say, pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. I will tell you that there are people here that would take a Bible and show you how you can be sure 
even if you're not raising your hand right now. You can come approach one of us after the service, during the invitation time, Brother Earl comes up, and we can take a Bible and let your eyes see for yourself what I have read and preached tonight once again. Here's my question to believers. Hammond said, Brother Barry, I needed that shot in the arm tonight as an example of being more straightforward and bold and simplistic in the way that I share Christ with others. This was a help to me as a believer tonight to share the gospel with friends and family and co-workers who need to hear it. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Anyone like that? Amen. How many would say, Brother Barry, I'm leaving church encouraged tonight by just being reminded of what Jesus has done for me. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Hallelujah. Father, Brother Earl will come in a moment and direct the invitation, the rest of it as you lead him. Please do not let anyone leave the service tonight who's unsaved. Don't let them leave here without settling the matter. Help us as believers to be faithful witnesses of the one and only gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.